And we're going to go in our Bibles this morning to, you'll never guess, Luke chapter 7 this time, skipped a few. Luke chapter 7 verse 9, we'll read that first. Again, we've been talking in the last while. Sundays and Wednesdays, uh, there's some different stories in the book of Luke. Focusing on Jesus, the things that he's done. And uh, that's not a bad thing to do, I don't think. And so, um, to read Luke chapter 7, verse 9, it says, When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him and turned him about and said unto the people that followed him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. really good with titles, so this title is um, Humble Faith, Great Faith. Uh, so let's just pray uh, one more time. Um, you can keep your Bibles open if you want to Luke 7, we'll be there the rest of the morning. But let's just pray together before we get into um, the Word today. Jesus, hallelujah, thank you, God, for your presence and your spirit that's here. I pray that you would speak to us through it your spirit and through your word this morning. God, I pray that you anoint our ears to hear what you would have us to hear and my mouth to say what needs to be said. In Jesus' name, God, let everything be clear. God, I pray in your name that your will be done above all. In Jesus' name, God, I pray that you would strengthen faith this morning. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated if you want. Humble faith and great faith. So to set this whole story up, uh, we've skipped over some things from, from Wednesday. Um, Wednesday we left off with the man with the withered hand. And after that, Jesus goes away to the mountain to pray, and then he comes back and calls all of his disciples. Uh, he's got a bunch of people that have been following him, and he, from the group he picks 12 out and calls them uh, apostles. That's Luke 6 and 13. And then he ministers to... Uh, a large crowd has come from all over again, and he turns to his disciples and delivers to them the Beatitudes, which um, we know mostly from Matthew, but Luke also covers some of that too. And he teaches about um, loving enemies and judging people, and we could have done all that this morning if we wanted. Talks about bearing the right fruit. We've talked about this stuff recently, and um, building your house upon the right foundation, and all of those things. And when he's done, um, we come to Luke chapter 7. Again, he's still in the Galilee region. Uh, so Luke 7 and 1, it says, And now when he had ended all his sayings, so those are the things he was talking about, um, in the audience of the people, he entered into, guess where? Capernaum again. Remember that place? So again, we have another story in Capernaum. Again, it's a, it's a small fishing town on the coast of the Sea of Galilee. Um, We've talked about them in the past, and it's amazing when you let Jesus work and minister, he just seems to keep on doing it. Amen. And so Nazareth, they rejected him, but Capernaum welcomed him with open arms, and they brought everyone to him, and he ministered to everyone that came, and he just keeps going back and doing incredible things in Capernaum. That could be a lesson in of itself if you want. Uh, but verse 2, it says, And a certain centurion's servant, who was dear to him, was sick and ready to die. So now we meet the character we're going to talk about. 
That wasn't too long setting it up, was it? Um, he's a centurion. Uh, he's a leader in the Roman army. Uh, Luke, in his gospel and also in the book of Acts, he speaks pretty positively of centurions. They were, for the most part, honorable guys. In Luke's story, anyway, you think of Cornelius, um, who's also a centurion. A centurion basically was a leader over a century, uh, not a hundred years, but a hundred soldiers. And so this was a man who had authority. Um, this was a guy who had people listen to him on a regular basis. He's kind of a big deal. Um, and being a, a leader of the Roman army, we can assume he wasn't Jewish. Uh, most scholars think that he's either Roman, Greek, or maybe even Syrian. Uh, but we know for, for, for the most part, Jesus' ministry on earth was mainly focused um, to the, the, on the Jewish population. But this centurion man, he's got a servant. And this servant, it says, is very dear to him. Literally, it means valuable or precious. This servant isn't like any other servant he has or any other uh, of his hundred soldiers that are known. He's very um, special to this centurion. He's irreplaceable. If you think... Um, Sometimes servants would find themselves in that position in a household. Like think of Joseph and Potiphar in the Old Testament, they, that kind of relationship. Joseph basically ran Potiphar's household. He was a servant, but yet he was very important to Potiphar. So it's this kind of relationship that this man would have with his servant. He was well-trusted, and he was valuable to his master. He was a good guy. The Roman Empire was constantly growing and expanding and going to war and taking over new territories and, and getting bigger and bigger all the time. So it's not unlikely that this centurion, as a man of the army, um, he had been to war, I would assume, being that kind of thing. It's not like we have people in the army that they're just in the army and that's it. Now, these guys are always going to war and they're always expanding and they're always taking over new territories. So it's likely that this guy's been to war and he would have had to leave his home for a while and he could probably be called away at any moment. And so no doubt he trusted this servant to take care of things for him. He was precious to him. He needed this guy in his life. But this servant finds himself sick. And the Bible says he's ready to die. And something has happened. Something's got a hold of this guy. Some sickness, disease, virus, whatever. He finds himself in a bad place and he's dying. And the centurion it's very close to the servant. So Luke 7 and 3, it says, When he heard of Jesus, the centurion heard of Jesus, he sent unto him the elders of the Jews, beseeching him that he would come and heal his servant. Did you see that in the first part there? When he heard of Jesus, this man is home worried about his dying servant, what he's going to do. If this guy passes away, how his house is going to run? What's going to happen if this man passes away? When he hears of Jesus, he's in Capernaum. And this is the area where Jesus has been working mightily. And people were literally tearing the roofs off of houses to get to Jesus for a miracle. And people were coming from all over to get healed. And every single one of them that came to Jesus was healed. Demons were being cast out in the synagogue and at Peter's house and with every testimony with every story more and more people are hearing about what is happening in Capernaum what's happening with Jesus and they just keep spreading the word and they keep sharing their testimonies and they keep telling everyone about Jesus and the incredible things that 
he's doing, and how great would that be to have that in our town? Amen. Capernaum was just a little fishing village. Um, history says there was, guess how many people lived there? Of 1,500, which isn't far off of how many live in our town, 1,800 or so. And yet Jesus was working in mighty ways, and people were coming from all over to Capernaum to be healed and hear what Jesus was doing and see what was happening. And it all started with them receiving his word. And if you remember, they received his word, and then a demon was cast out. It only takes one spark to light a fire. But it spread by people talking. I don't know if you know this about people, but people are going to talk. That's what we do. We talk. <laughs> At work, online. You know, have you ever worked with someone that don't talk? Or married to someone that doesn't talk? There's that uncomfortable, awkward silence. And you're like, something should be being said right now. Sometimes I'm the one that causes that. <laughs> it's someone else. But we just talk. That's what we do. At the... You know, at the bank, at the, the store, the gas station, the post office, the work, driving, walking, meet someone. You just, people just talk, especially in small towns. That's one of the reputations small towns have. It's not a lot else to do, they say. I don't know. There's always something to do. But what if, what if we talked about Jesus? What if... We talked about the sermon or the Bible study we heard at church. Or what if we talked about the experience we had with Jesus? Because we're going to talk. That's what we do. Amen. And the people at Capernaum, they were going to talk. Because that's what they do. But they were talking about Jesus. And this thing just kept growing and growing. What if we talked about the passage of Scripture? We read that this morning. What if, that morning. What if we talked about the, the testimony of Sister So-and-So instead of just talking about Sister So-and-So? What if we told everyone about that healing that took place? What if we told everyone about that prayer that was answering, answered? That's what they were doing in Capernaum. And the more they talked, the more people came. And the more they talked, the more Jesus worked. And the more they spread the word, the more needs were met. And the more they shared their testimonies, the more people came to Jesus. And the more people that came to Jesus, the more testimonies there were. And the more testimonies there were, the more people that came to Jesus. And it just kept growing and growing and growing. Romans 10 and 17 says, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes when we hear, when we hear the word, when we hear testimonies. And these stories would eventually reach this Gentile, non-Jewish centurion. And when he heard about Jesus, his servant was dying. And he heard just in time. And there are people at the end of the rope just waiting to hear. There are people who feel hopeless just waiting to hear some hope. And they're waiting and they don't know where to turn or what to do and they need to hear. And this man hears about Jesus just in time. And he heard. And this is where it gets interesting. Because this guy, he's a centurion. He's not Jewish. So he approaches Jesus a little bit differently than everyone else has. He approaches Jesus. Uh, he goes about it a little, a little different. And it's because he's different. He's not like everyone else in Capernaum. He's not Jewish. He's put there by the Roman Empire maybe to look after the place and make sure they all kind of stay in line and, and that sort of thing. 
And not everyone is the same, and not everyone will pray the same or do things the same. And that doesn't mean they're wrong. Jesus knows what's going on. We need to let him decide and work. So this guy approaches Jesus completely different than everyone else has. It says, He sent unto him, unto Jesus, the elders of the Jews, beseeching that he would come and heal his servant. So instead of him going to Jesus like others have, instead of him going and tearing a roof off and letting his friend down or whatever, instead of him going, he, he gets the elders of the town, the Jewish elders and, or leaders, and he sends them to Jesus. He asked that Jesus would come and heal his servant. And this is a bit of a different approach. And we'll see why in a, a little bit here. Luke 7, 4 to 5. It said, and when they came to Jesus, so this is the, the elders. When they came to Jesus, they besought him instantly. Saying that he was worthy for whom we should do this. So the centurion was worthy. Verse 5. For he loveth our nation, he hath built us a synagogue. And this is where it's kind of interesting, because at this time in history, most of the, the Jewish idea, it was us versus them, Jews versus Gentiles. You see it even in the early church, it's something they struggle with. And, and this guy, being a Gentile, he would very much be a them, especially as a, a member of the Roman army who's conquered them, and, and he's over them um, politically and all that stuff. But... This guy somehow overcame the prejudice that normally would have been associated with this. He was he's clearly a man of faith. He loves God and his people. And the Bible says that he built the people of Capernaum a synagogue. And this was a small town, we've said. And archaeologists have found a total of two synagogues in Capernaum. One built on top of the other. So at this time, there would have been one synagogue in Capernaum. And this man was the man who had built that synagogue. The synagogue that had a man with a demon cast out of him was built by this Roman centurion. The synagogue that Jesus taught it was very likely built by this centurion. That in itself is a pretty cool thing. And so the leaders of the town come to Jesus and they beseech him, or literally they, they begged him and they said, please do this. He's a good man. He's worthy of this miracle. He deserves it. He loves our nation. He built a synagogue for us. Please do this. And he had such a good reputation with the community that the elders, um, the Jewish elders were willing to go to Jesus on his behalf. In Luke 7 and 6, the first part says, Then Jesus went with him. The first thing we should note is, the servant is sick. The centurion goes to the elders. The elders go to Jesus. And they plead on his behalf. And then Jesus responds. This isn't like most stories. This isn't like most of the miracles. Usually someone comes to Jesus personally. Or brings Jesus to somebody that's sick. Like Jairus with his daughter. You come, you need to heal my daughter. Or they, they come and they try to um, get close to him. And he heals them. And that way there's only three stories where Jesus gives a word and doesn't actually go. This is one of them. This is kind of like your coworkers got, you know, they have someone they know, and someone dear to that person is sick, and they come to you and you take it to Jesus. It's kind of that sort of thing. And Jesus responds. What we can learn from this is that Jesus will respond to a need if someone brings it to him. It doesn't necessarily have to be the person with the need. 
If they're in a state where they can't, it may not even be the person closest to them. As long as someone brings the need to Jesus and as someone pleads on their behalf, Jesus will respond. And he starts off by responding to the beseeching of the Jewish elders. He hasn't, um, he hasn't even answered the centurion yet. He hasn't said anything. Um, he's just responding to the elders. That's why we take prayer requests in church. We pray on behalf of others. That's called intercession. Maybe a second-hand request, it may be a third-hand request, but as long as someone is beseeching, as long as someone's bringing it to Jesus, as long as someone is interceding, Jesus is listening. And so Jesus goes with the elders. Verse 6 again, it says, And Jesus went with them, and when he was now not far from the town, or from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying, Lord, trouble not thyself, for I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter unto, or under my roof. So somehow Jesus gets word that the centurion, sorry, flip that around. Somehow the centurion gets word that Jesus is getting closer to his house. Maybe there's a crowd or um, maybe someone runs ahead and tells him that Jesus is on his way. We're not sure. But Jesus is close to this guy's house. And again, the centurion sends out some friends to meet Jesus with another message. This guy hasn't even met him yet. He hasn't seen Jesus. He has never been face to face with him. He's never seen him. He's never heard him speak physically. All he's, all he knows is the stories. All he knows is what he's heard in town about Jesus. That's all he has to go on. And before Jesus gets to his house, he sends some friends to intercept Jesus and give him another message. And his message starts off with, don't trouble yourself. I'm not worthy that you should enter my house. I don't know if you caught that part either. <laughs> this is a centurion. This guy's a big deal. And this guy has a hundred Roman soldiers who will do whatever he says, whenever he says it. He has authority. He's been placed here to watch this area under the Roman Empire. He's the boss. The town loves him. The elders of the town love him. He's built a synagogue. He's done some pretty great things, but yet when Jesus is coming to his house, he says, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. And that's our main point. It takes me a long time to get there now. I used to be quicker getting to my points. But what did the elders say about him? The elders said, please do this. Why? For he's worthy. He's worthy that Jesus should meet his need. He deserved this miracle. He deserved Jesus to do something for him. The elders said he's worthy. But when Jesus gets near his house, he sends out people to tell Jesus, you don't need to come in. I'm not worthy. And the town, the people, the elders, they all look at this guy like he was something else. He was special. He was a great man. He built a synagogue for crying out loud. If anyone deserved a miracle, surely it's the guy that put the synagogue there and that Jesus was healing people in and teaching it. That's what the town thought. If anyone deserved a miracle, it was him. And the miracle this man was asking for wasn't even for himself. It was for someone else. Surely, this guy deserves it. Surely, he's worthy. If we had to approve, if we had like a committee that approved of people that got miracles, this guy would first ballot Hall of Miracles. He'd be in and he'd get it. What a guy. He's selfless. What a good guy. 
And the elders went to Jesus on his behalf willingly. And that in itself is incredible and amazing. He'd won the whole town over as someone that wasn't Jewish. This, is, this was an incredible thing. But when Jesus comes near, he says, I'm not worthy to have you under my roof. And that is amazing. And some folks, with all the attention that this man had, it would start to get a big head. Some of us may. Most people, when they do something or they build something, they feel like maybe people owe them. Well, I did this, so you got to do this for me. Well, I did this for the church, so I deserve this, or I've whatever. We do that. But this man is the opposite. This man is humble. And that is the key to the whole story. He's humble, and he approaches Jesus with humbleness or with humility, and he says, I'm not worthy that you come under my house. Even though the whole town thinks this guy, if anyone's worthy, it's him. But when Jesus comes near, he says, I'm not worthy. Verse 7 says, he's still talking, it says, Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto me, unto thee, but say in a word, and my servant shall be healed. He said, I'm not, not worthy for you to come under my roof. I didn't even think I was worthy enough to come and approach you and ask for this. That's humility. This guy's a centurion. As far as he knows, Jesus is just another Jewish teacher. The son of a carpenter from the town down the road. That's as, as far as he knows, that's all that's going on here. And he says, I'm not worthy. I don't really deserve this. But, right? There's a but. Everything hinges on that but. But, if you say the word, my servant will be healed. He says, I'm not worthy, but your word will make the difference. That is humility. That is humbleness. I'm not worthy, but his word made a difference. I wasn't worthy, but his word changed my life. I wasn't worthy, but he spoke into my life. But, but, but none of us deserve anything from Jesus. None of us have earned anything. None of us are, are worthy in that sense. But his word changes everything. But a word from Jesus can change this situation. But he approaches Jesus with humility and he says, I realize that I don't deserve this. I realize that I am not worthy. I know others may look at me and see a guy who built the synagogue. I know there's a hundred men that will do whatever I say, whenever I say it, but this isn't about that. This isn't about me or what I've done or my accomplishments. I can't earn anything from you. I can't earn a miracle or salvation or an answer to prayer, but if you say the word, but if Jesus says the word, and then he explains it in verse 8, he says, For I also am a man set under authority, having under me soldiers. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he, he does it. And the man says to Jesus through his friend that goes, he says, I know how authority works. I say something, and my soldiers do it. I know how this works. I don't need a big crowd at my house. I don't need all the disciples coming in. I don't need 400 people laying hands on my servant and, and praying for him. I don't need all of that attention. All I need is a word from Jesus. And that, my friends, 
is faith. Verse 9, it says, When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at them and turned him about. Jesus turned around and said to all the people that were following him, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. Jesus is amazed. He marvels at this centurion. And he turns and says, When I have not found so great a faith in Israel or among the Jewish people, I have not seen such great of a faith. This is in Capernaum where multitudes of people were healed, where countless demons are being cast out and all kinds of miracles are taking place. But this one centurion, when he heard what Jesus had done and asked for just a word, he had great faith. He had humble faith. He said, I'm not worthy, but if you could just say the word. And Jesus said, this, my friends, this, is great faith. How did he respond to this great faith? Verse 10, it says, And they that were sent, returning to the house, found the servant whole that had been sick. And he answered the centurion's request. And, and, and when the, the people that came to, to send that message to Jesus, when they got back to the house, the servant was completely fine. He answered his request without ever seeing him. There's no record that Jesus goes to this guy's house. He just gets a word. He heard about Jesus. He asked. Jesus gave the word and the servant was healed. Something about faith. (laughs) The only other person that Jesus used this saying, great faith about, was a Syrophoenician woman or Greek woman in Matthew 15. She begs Jesus to heal her daughter. And he said he was supposed to minister to the Jews first. And he says to her, it's not right to take the the food from the children and give it to the dogs. Basically called her a dog and said he was here to minister to the Jews. And, And she wasn't Jewish, so whatever. And she said to him, but even the dogs get crumbs that fall from the table. And Jesus said, wow. You have great faith. The same kind of thing. She was humble as well. She let him call her a dog. I mean, there's not much lower than that. Dogs, I know now, we all have, we all have dogs in our homes or pets or whatever. And we take care of them. We buy them fancy treats. Julia. And we do all this stuff and we we take care of them and we take them to groomers and all this nonsense. But at this time, that is not what took place. Dogs were scavengers. They they um, they ran loose, they ate trash, and pretty much every time they refer to in scripture, it's not as a good thing. And the lowest of the low, but because of her humility, he answered her request. There were two people. Both Gentile and both on behalf of someone else. Both were humble. Both had great faith, Jesus said. Both had prayer answered from a distance. And when we have this humble faith, a word is enough. When we approach Jesus with humility, he responds in incredible ways. Great faith is a humble faith. Stop it.
The centurion says, I'm not worthy, but if you say the word. And we get into trouble when we start acting like Jesus owes us stuff. When we start demanding things from him. The Pharisees in Mark 8, 1 to 12, they demanded that Jesus gave, give them a sign. It says, when the Pharisees came forth and began to question with him, seeking of him a sign from heaven, tempting him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why doth this generation seek after a sign? Verily, I say unto you, there shall no sign be given unto this generation. It's one of the only times where Jesus doesn't give someone what they're looking for because they basically demanded that Jesus do something for them. He didn't give them a sign. They were proud and they expected Jesus just to do things because they said so. And it doesn't work like that. We can't approach him with pride. We can't approach him expecting him to do something and answer a demand just because we deserve it or because we've done so much for the church or we've built this or we've done that or everyone loves us. It doesn't work that way. Just because we think he should do what we want when we want, it doesn't work like that. He's looking for humble faith, great faith. James 4 and 6 says, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. He resists the proud. He won't respond to the proud, but he gives grace to people who are hungry. If you want to have great faith, if you want to see him work in mighty ways in your life, it starts with humility. And one more scripture before we end. Jesus told a parable in Luke 18, 10 to 14. Two men went up to a temple to pray. One a Pharisee. And the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed with himself. Um, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice a week and give tithes of all I possess. So that's how he prayed. God, thankful I'm not like all these terrible people and especially this guy over here. That's a little pride, right? <laughs> And then it says, And the publican standing far off would not lift up so much as his eyes to heaven, but smote upon his breast. He beat it on his chest, and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone that exalted himself will be abased or brought low, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. So there's two ways we can approach Jesus. We can approach him with pride, we can approach him with humility. We've got two options. You can approach him with pride and be brought down, or you can approach God with humility and be brought up. So this morning we're going to pray, as we do. And we, we have needs in this building. We took a prayer request earlier, and I know there's some that weren't mentioned as well. We have prayer requests here. We have needs and I want you this morning to think of the stories that you've heard and the testimonies you've heard of God working and doing incredible things and moving on people that were, I just, this week I heard a story, this pastor's son had walked away from church, I think it was 35 years, and he came back and he prayed through this week, the last Sunday. It was incredible. And there's stories like that. There's people that have been prayed for for years and they've come back. And there's people that have been healed and, and testimonies and all these things. And even in your own life, things that Jesus has done. I want you to think of these stories. 
the healings that you know of, the stories of restoration, the stories of miracles, the things that Jesus has done. I want you to take these stories and think about them like the centurion. You've heard these things. We need to get the hearing to our heart and let our faith grow. And then as our faith becomes stronger, faith comes by hearing. And then we're going to bring these needs to Jesus this morning. It doesn't matter if it's you personally. It doesn't matter if it's your friends, someone. Jesus will respond if someone brings the need to him. And not because he owes us anything, because he doesn't. It doesn't matter if you've been coming here for 30 years. It's your first time. It doesn't matter. He doesn't owe anybody anything. But if he says the word, it will happen. So this morning, let's stand. We're going we're gonna to pray for ourselves. We're going to pray for our families. We're going to pray for our neighbors, for the people we work with. Whoever it is, that need that you've got on your heart, the thing you're thinking about, the need that's on your mind, we're going to bring that to Jesus this morning. And we're going to ask him to say the word, to work and to move, because he can do incredible things when we approach him with humble faith, with great faith. So let's do that this morning. Let's say, as we do, let's think about all the testimonies we've heard. Let's think about the great things God's done, even in our lives, even in this church, in the past, and even recently. Let's think about those things, let our faith grow, and then, and then we're going to bring these needs to Jesus and ask him just to speak and say the word. And if he does, it's all that we need. Humble faith. Your will be 